Welcome to the Widely Optimized Wellness Podcast. I am your host, Terea Rodriguez, and I'm joined by the lovely co-host, Evie Takis. Both of us are functional diagnostic nutrition practitioners, and we love working with women from all over the world through our virtual programs, helping women not only feel better, but actually achieve that vibrant, no-holds-barred version of themselves they've been missing for a long time. And how we actually get there? Well, that is what this show is all about. Now, please keep in mind that this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. And if you like what you hear today, we would love for you to hit that follow button, leave a review in Apple podcast, share with your friends and keep coming back for more. Let's start today's adventure, shall we? Welcome back, everybody, to the Wellness Optimized Wellness Podcast. We have a lovely guest who I have met in Bend, Oregon, and she and I were talking about a completely different topic, and then we stumbled in on long COVID, and her story was so compelling that I wanted to invite her onto the podcast and share with us her experience with long COVID. So Helena, welcome to the podcast, and please introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about you, and then we'll just go from there. Sure. Thank you, Terea, so much. Um, it's just an honor to be here. I definitely um, haven't done a lot of uh, speaking out on my journey, but I've wanted to. I've definitely shared with a lot of people um, close to my circle who, you know, and I've started to kind of put out feelers just within my networks of like, hey, if anyone's dealing with this, like, I'm here to help. Um, because I definitely, I think it was an important journey and I think it's one that is hard to navigate. And I think I had certain skills that helped me navigate it in a way that ultimately led to, um, you know, healing that I think others haven't found yet because they, they just don't have the resources, um, or know what to be looking for. So that's ultimately, I think kind of part of how we got started talking about this. Um, my background <clears throat> I am a marriage and family therapist in training and a, a licensed professional counselor in Oregon. Um, so mental health therapy, but I've been doing um, mental health clinical research with the VA, primarily in the areas of post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injuries for 15 years or so. Um, so I have, I'm very uh, ver well-versed in, in research and what makes quality research and, um, you know, the things you kind of be looking for there, which is one of the pieces I think it's a, is important and that's helped me along my way. Um, but I also, we got talking because I also run locally, uh, gather sauna house. It's, um, a mobile sauna, uh, wood fired traditional experience. And, um, that's a, that's a whole nother topic, but <clears throat> it also dovetails into this as well, just as, as far as how, um, thermal contrast therapies can really help with chronic chronic illness. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background as a clinical researcher and how did that really play a pivotal role or an expedient role in you getting the information that you needed? Because we are what year four, kind of getting into year four of this pandemic. And there are still people who are not able to put the uh, 
connect the dots in a way to understand that long COVID is a thing for them. So how did clinical research and your skills as clinical research, and then we'll talk about your story of putting those together, but how did that kind of play a role? Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the most important pieces just because, um, you know, if, well, just by nature, if I've got a problem, I am going to be researching, (laughs) researching, researching, researching my way out of it. I mean, I just do that fundamentally um, with things in my life. Um, If you ask my husband, you know, he, I'm down some rabbit hole researching something. Um, and, and that's in the broad sense of research, you know, but, um, yeah, I think, so I got COVID for the first and only time that I know of so far in, um, August of 2021. So it was a little bit later, um, than some folks who have, um, you know, some 2020 folks who got, um, exposed to COVID and are still struggling with long COVID. Yeah. Um, are, you know still trying to piece this out. One, one thing when it comes to COVID, when it's COVID, long COVID, anything, um, is early treatment is paramount. Um, and that's something that, you know, so early, early intervention in COVID, acute COVID leads to better prognosis, leads to um, better outcomes as far as avoiding long COVID. I, you know, at that point, I did not know that. I, uh, I don't think any of, of us knew that. At that yeah. period of time. And, yeah. Right. And part of what we uh, initially talked about, Terea, when, you know, was just, you know, being a part of sort of the VA system for so long and my brother's a doctor and I'm in mental health. I had a lot of trust. I think it was the one last institution that I had a lot of trust in being the medical, you know, um, medical complex, <laughs> but the medical and our healthcare systems. I, I just, kind of blindly trusted there. And I think overall my journey would now inform me in a different way, um, knowing more the the realities of what just even primary care doctors are faced with and the fact that they're not really paying attention to, you know, the most um, recent clinical research, even in the wake of a novel pandemic. Um, And so this this kind of led me down this pathway of learning about functional medicine, which is, I just, this is all just a frame. Like I have such a deep respect for what you do and, and the fact that you're sharing it and that there we're getting more and more, you know, um, naturopaths and, and functional medicine practitioners who are really trying to look at root cause and it bring up root cause because as a researcher, I'm always most fascinated by the mechanisms of why something works or why, um, you know, what are the, what are the important clinical underpinnings that inform this particular way of treatment? And I think that's the piece that I came into this with, because I just, I really started just, you know, when I had acute COVID, I was definitely really worried about long COVID. I didn't know what it was totally at that point at all. I just had heard some kind of horror stories like we all had. And I was just like, wow, that's something I really don't want. I really didn't think I would be one of those people. Um, and I didn't really know a lot about what I do now about how I would intervene, um, what kinds of supplements and, and even medications I might take, um, now to intervene in acute COVID. Um, but when, when my symptoms, new symptoms started coming on, um, some symptoms didn't go away and then new symptoms started coming on within about a month. I knew instantly that it was long COVID and I 
and they kept getting worse. And I just did what I do. And I just went down my hole of research. And I just think that I found my way to certain resources, um, which we can talk about explicitly, but certain resources that um, I was able to evaluate pretty quickly. Like this is, you know, this makes sense. And this treatment that these people are doing that I can tell is very hard. You know, I've found my way to the right resource that's telling me about this resource. And I know, and then looking at their whole theoretical model behind what they're doing, which is not mainstream at all. They're not going to get the research and in, in university and all the kinds of different NIH support that they need because it's not mainstream. Um, and in fact, it's a bit experimental. Uh, at, at least it was at this point. I mean, I think it would still be judged experimental at, at this point, but that's that's a whole other thing with how research is done in this country and all that. Um, and where funds are actually being put right now towards these things. But um, yeah, I, I basically was able to evaluate these treatments that I would even say now feel really risky that I ended up doing. Um, but I could, but they had really sound mechanisms behind it and they had developed uh, their own biomarkers for it. And so I was able to take a blood test, show that I, you know, that, uh, prove that my cytokines, my immune system was totally over inflamed and out of whack. Um, and then they had specific treatments that they targeted towards these, you know, my particular cytokine panel. And I just, it made, there's, there's a whole theory behind this particular treatment I did initially. Um, but I just think I was able to evaluate that in a way that most people would just, I mean, even when I try to talk to my own family about it, they're like, you've lost me, but I'm glad you found what works, <laughs> you know? So, sorry, that was a long-winded way. No, to get that's, around that it's great to understand because, I mean, here you are, you do clinical research. You and I have also talked uh, about your other projects where you're involved in writing grants. And so you know how all of this stuff works. So that gave you that perspective to be able to look at some of the findings that you were finding in 2021 and beyond to really understand like, okay, is this like grounded in like some pretty solid research mechanisms or is this really primarily anecdotal or people are just kind of going off of, well, I think salt water is the cure or whatever it happens to be. You're able to sniff out snake oil from real legit stuff in a way that a lot of people don't just don't have those skills to be able to do. Yeah. To, to an extent, I think a lot of long COVID um, interventions and treatments have been really trial and error because we've had to be um, because people don't have the time to suffer and truly they don't because this ongoing rampant chronic inflammation is, has the potential to do long-term nerve damage. And um, that's, going to be harder to treat as you go along. I somehow intuitively, and also just, you know, some of these resources I picked up, I just really felt like I've got to get something that works fast. Um, and I did get on this treatment within two months of my acute infection. And I think that has everything to do with um, my prognosis or, or the out, you know, so far I'm, you know, I feel like I'm pretty much like 99.9% .9 healed. I think, um, you know, there's, I'm more susceptible, like I'm worried about reinfections and, but I have a lot more tools. Uh, and then, you know, there was this sort of initial, um, uh, 
more pharmacological intervention that I did based on, and then I really, after that, have gone into a lot more functional medicine and holistic, you know, healing ways of just working on inflammation in my body in general and understanding that as a key underpinning for what's going on in long COVID. Well, since uh, both Evie and I practice functional medicine, you are welcome to go into the the rabbit hole here with us. I, I would love to know you know, you mentioned a cytokine panel. That's an uncommon panel, especially for functional medicine. So I would love to understand what did you learn and what kind of markers were you pulling to discover that you had this kind of inflammation? Because when we look at inflammation, typically it's like a HSCRP or an A1C, or we're looking at maybe an fatty uh, omega-6 omega-3 panel. Like, those kinds of things, we're not really looking at the cytokines in the way that you were, unless we're looking at chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which has its own set of markers associated with it. So we would love to hear, like, what did you discover in terms of markers and what did you start tracking? So, yeah. Okay. So, so I, um, found my way to this, this group called NCELDX and it's, um, it's run, uh, led by, uh, Dr. Bruce Patterson and Dr. Bruce Patterson. Uh, he is a, uh, shoot. It's a pathoimmunology. I don't know if I'm saying he's worked in the pathology of the immune system for, you know, decades and, um, was really got his, he kind of came up in his medical career in the height of HIV. And it's just a, a total expert in, in that and an innovative, um, uh, diagnostics for, for these kinds of, uh, because I mean, the world of immunology is really, really, uh, it's pretty, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? It's, uh, pretty new. I mean, there's a lot we don't know about the immune system and how it works and functions. So, Wow. It was the same uh, way 25 years ago when I was doing my uh, undergrad, you know, it's like you take immunology and there's like, oh, there's so much we don't know. And fast forward, there's more, we know more, more. but we're and still in COVID that state. Really like there's so much that, we don't. Yes. And I think COVID and long COVID has really brought that really to the forefront again, you know, just like HIV did at the time. But anyway, Bruce Patterson, and he was the former um, like chief of pathoimmunology, or I, I, again, I'm not saying it right, but at, um, well, now I'm not even, I think it might be Stanford. Anyway, a premier university at one point, but he went off and started his own company in CellDX um, that primarily focused on these, you know, really um, innovative diagnostics and innovative technology around diagnostics. So his group, you know, he really started working on this with his group at the beginning in 2020, you know, and he had a really interest, he has his own really interesting story about how he got into it. Cause you know, he's been on this other path and, um, but there's so much overlap of what's maybe going on a little bit with HIV and long COVID. Uh, at least there's some, and there's definitely overlap in some of the markers, uh, that are elevated. And so anyway, he, he went to work early on and trying to figure out a way to um, biomarkers for long COVID, what's going on. So he, um, using uh, machine learning and, you know, some really complex statistical and, and technological um, t 
tech, well, technologies, they were able to basically come up with, and I can't remember their initial sample, but it was really large of, you know, comparing acute COVID people, long COVID people, and I think uh, normal controls. And with machine learning, they came up with this, uh, what they're kind of, they call the immune signature of long COVID um, looking at, and so they were, they showed this, this certain subset of cytokines that were more commonly elevated in long haulers. And not only that, they developed an algorithm that actually like gave you a a long hauler index, which I think they've since refined because they're learning more and more all the time. Um, But yeah, so, and they, I, with like 98% confidence, this algorithm um, went through this blood test could predict long COVID via these particular cytokines. Um, One of the big ones in his theory is, um, Ranty's CCR5, which is commonly elevated in um, HIV. And <laughs> their theory, let me make sure, I mean, I haven't talked about this in a little bit, but let me make, <laughs> so I might be slightly off, but their theory that really made sense to me um, is that, you know, the, the toxic thing here, because they see now a lot of people who are vaccine injured as well. And there's similar things going on there because really the toxic thing here is spike protein and their theory here is that what's happening and they were able to show, they are able to show this now and they have a new test for this that shows basically spike protein remnants that are stuck in um, monocytes, um, which is another piece of the immune system. But um, basically they believe that pieces of spike not replicating competent, pieces of virus, but just pieces of the spike protein, because these monocytes, these non-classical monocytes, their job in the immune system typically is they're the garbage trucks and they come and they, when a virus has come through, they come and they eat that up and then they go kill themselves. And that's how it, it clears these pieces of virus. It clears them from the immune system that way normally. Um, what they found is that these non-classical monocytes, which by the way, these non-classical monocytes um, they monitor, they move all over your body, traveling on the endothelium, traveling on the blood vessels. So this is another piece about how symptoms can be all over in all these different systems. But what they found is that these monocytes are eating spike pieces of the spike protein or the remnants. And, but under these pathological conditions caused in COVID, they're not, they're not getting the programming to go kill themselves. Um, so instead, they're just roaming around the lining of the blood vessels saying, I've got inflammation, I've got inflammation in me. And, you know, and they're attracting all of these um, inflammatory cytokines to different sites. It could be in that they move. That's why long hauler symptoms can be here. You know, they can be in all these different systems and travel and move. And we know that exercise increases that because exercise increases these monocytes, their activity um, and their movement. So basically, Explains a lot of uh, long haulers who have issues with post-exertional malaise, exactly. right? Because they go and they exercise exactly. and then their body reacts abnormally to that. And therefore the fatigue is exactly. much longer on a recovery pro- profile. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Right. And, and increase, increases their action and increases their movement. And so now you've got increased symptoms and more inflammation. Um so that's kind of the base, you know, and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and, and then, so, um, those, the increase of T 
So, and now they're able to actually test and show spike protein in those monocytes. So by the end of my treatment, I was able to, to take another test and show like, oh, I don't have any more spike in my, in my um, monocytes, which is great. That's amazing. And, and that matches the fact that my immune panel went back to normal. Okay. Which is great because the biggest thing in long COVID is like, there's no, we have no biomarkers. We have no biomarkers. We can't study this, but we do. It's just that the, the things that are working and are out there are not being platformed and not being funded appropriately. However, Bruce right. and his group finally did get um, funding and they're about to start a clinical trial finally. And they've been working on that for a really long time. That is amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And so um, what was I going to say about... Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, there's a lot more complexity to it, but the treatment that I was on, so I definitely had really high, um, what is CDL 40? What is that one? It's a clotting. It's it's basically an indicator of clotting. And they were some of the first to know that microclotting was happening. Um, and they, there's also more to their theory about fractalkine pathway and, and what's going on there with with some of these elevated cytokines. And so that basically lend themselves to why one core of their treatment is a statin, a short-term statin, um, not long-term, you know, yep. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's generally not in line with, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a more functional or holistic way, but it's short-term and it, uh, it works. The statins tends to work really uh, synergistically with, um, the, the one of the cores of their treatment, which is, um, I was on Maraviroc, which is, uh, that affects directly the, the CCR5, the Rantes elevated um, cytokine that's really kind of at the core of all of this. And it's an immunomodulator, but it's an HIV drug. And it's, it's not, um, again, it's an immunomodulator. It doesn't depress the immune system, but it helps Basically, it helps fix that signal that then the monocytes can go, oh, I've got to go do apoptosis and go, you know, take this debris and go kill myself like I should to clear from the body. So, you know, all of that made sense to me. Like, okay, I've got, I've got a biomarker. I've got, you know, this justification of, or, you know, this underpinning of what they think's happening that's them lending itself directly to the treatment that they think will modify this particular, you know, so it's precision medicine in that sense. Interesting. And did you get a chance to work with Dr. Patterson directly or were you working with somebody in a clinic of his? Like, how did you end up navigating what, what they were doing from a research standpoint and you being able to apply that clinically in your own situation? How did you end up navigating that? Well, yeah, so they have it, they have it pretty streamlined for how they work with people and it's all on there, you know, it's, um, covidlonghaulers.com. Um, and when you go to that website, you know, it's, they work with these particular labs that they worked a really long time to basically validate these initial diagnostic tests. And so there's particular labs you have to go through and you go through in subject. So it's not yet something that like a functional medical you know, medicine practitioner can just order at any lab. Um, but so their process is, you know, basically once I kind of read through the research and I 
watched a number of different interviews with them talking about this and talking about this through Bruce himself. I did not work with Bruce himself. He has, although some people do, it's just kind of a lottery of whether you end up, um, but he has a, he's trained um, and it's a growing list of doctors now and they act as consultants actually. So, um, so you, you sign up for telemedicine, um, but first you first get your panel done and you get your panel done and, and you pay for that. And they've worked really hard too with insurance companies on trying to get reimbursement. And a lot of, you know, I got part of mine reimbursed in the end. Um, I could have worked a little harder, probably gotten a little more, but in any well, case, the fact that you got anything reimbursed this yeah. early in the game is pretty amazing. Yeah. So well yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and that's, you know, they've worked really hard on that piece too, um, in Celdiax because they really, I mean, they've gotten a lot of criticism for being so experimental and just in terms of like, you know, oh, people are desperate and they're just trying anything and they're going on these crazy HIV drugs, but it's like, well, they have, I mean, they have rapidly expanded. They have now, you know, um, telemedicine going on in all over Europe and they've seen like 40,000 patients and at this point and, a vast majority of those people are getting better, um, at least to an extent where then they can maybe shift to a more functional and holistic, you know, side of things to be continuing to work on, you know, the overall systemic inflammation, basically. Um, but yeah, so, so you have to find the, the hardest piece, I think, is you have to find, and this was, I just lucked out, to be honest, on this part, because you have to find a doctor who is willing to um, go along with this plan and willing to be consulted by NCLDX and prescribe these drugs in an experimental sort of a way. So that is one of the biggest um, roadblocks for a lot of people. However, NCL has been working with so many people now that they usually are able to recommend doctors that will do it. And at the time, that's what happened. There happened to be a doctor in Portland who was willing to do telemedicine with me, um, who you know, had kind of gotten approval from the institution he was working on to just work with long COVID people in this way. And um, I, I lucked out on that because he was, he was a big piece of this too. Um, and yeah, so, so you get your panel back and then you get on telemedicine with your prescribing doctor and one of their consultants and you talk about what the panel indicates. Now it's even much more sophisticated. They have, you know, they've figured out that not all long COVID is just long COVID. Uh, a lot of it is reactivated EBV or reactivated Lyme, but they've diagnosed tons of people and they're able, they've actually further, they've got further papers that with algorithms that are able to, again, predict with comp pretty like high confidence, 98% or something, whether you fall more into the, like the immunological pattern of someone with pure long COVID or someone with like EBV reactivation or, or Lyme, they've diagnosed a ton of people with previously unknown Lyme that just probably wasn't, that was just lingering, um, uh, what's the word? Dormant. Uh, in the body without it's being dormant. activated. And yeah. It, dormant, thank you. Yes. Dormantly in the body and then was reactivated by COVID and they had no idea. COVID is a huge for that. It's hugely reactivating a ton of these hidden pathogens. Um, and so now, you know, that's what's differentiating some of these clinical outcome patterns. Like some people are healing really quick. Some people have other co-infections going on that need to be addressed. And that's bringing in more and more, I think, of um, functional medicine practitioners who've been 
treating those things again for a really long time because mainstream medicine pretty much ignored them because research has completely ignored them. Yes. So, and so I'm curious, after you were done working with the uh, immunomodulator and the prescription medication or the Western medications, if you will, did you also incorporate functional medicine as part of your overall protocol um, as an after effect or layered on top of it? Or has that not been part of your journey? It has been. And it's and a lot of it is more... Um... I will say I'm more aware now in my kind of just like continued healing journey and just my quest to sort of head these things off in the future. Um, I'm more aligned with a functional medicine, you know, functional medicine options. Now I have like, I'm ready to pull the trigger. If I were to get sick again, I'm ready to like get right to a functional medicine, you know, practitioner and, uh, at the time when I got my panels done, they didn't know as much about like these other, in fact, I would go right to, you know, see, do I have reactivated EBV? Do I have reactivated Lyme? My pattern might've had some indicators of Lyme and I've never, you know, known anything. So I would go right to somebody um, that could start really working through that with me. I think I just, I've learned more, but, but I also, you know, I did sort of my more um, pharmacological, more uh, early intervention with Intel DX, but, and I did that for about five months, which is not, not typical. A lot of people are on this protocol for like two to three months, but then some people who've had like 2020 infections that have just, you know, a more, um, uh, they've had a lot more long-term damage potentially to organs. I think, you know, some of them are on it for longer it's, it, it really varies a lot, just like long COVID varies a lot. Um, but a lot of people are doing functional medicine stuff in tandem with this now, or they're, you know, for me, I think it was really more like past, I was doing more of that kind of stuff after my initial treatment, because when I got done, done, and I actually tapered off all the meds, I still, I felt like I was like 98% better, but I really felt, um, I really felt like I was like any little, like if I would get a cold and even now, sometimes like if I'm exposed to certain viruses, I, I can feel my immune system ticking on in that long COVID way um, more readily. And I'm really aware that, okay, something's inflamed here. So I'm kind of, I kind of shifted to wanting to work on just my overall systemic inflammation, any potential infections I had going on in my body that could have made me more susceptible to this. I started, um, I really started doing a lot of cold plunging was huge, huge, huge for my overall inflammation. I felt like that was, and in the beginning, you know, I run a sauna business, traditional wood fired sauna. Uh, it was really hard because in the beginning I could not do that because at a certain point in this disease, not everybody, but if you really do have the indicators of, of vascular inflammation, um, you get into the sauna, that's just going to, that's vasodilating, right? So that's just going to increase that, um, that, uh, inflammation of the blood vessels and the endothelium, and it's not going to be good. That's going to increase symptoms. But I started bringing sauna in kind of once I'd done some of the calming of that, you know, those blood vessels, because otherwise it is really good is sauna and cold plunge that, that, 
cold exposure is really good for the endothelium, which is the lining of the blood vessels and the blood vessels themselves, just for their overall um, strength and flexibility and, you know, uh, their overall health. So when I got to that point and, and the cardiovascular, I mean, sauna in itself has so many um, increasing immunity and cardiovascular benefits and all that. And then cold plunge as well. And the, the cold plunge, of course, does the vasoconstriction, which is really good when you do have, you know, initially when you have that like overall inflamed um, system going on. So I, you know, I really incorporated a lot of that. Um, and now that I've kind of gotten that baseline inflammation down, I, I know that like the sauna and the cold plunge is some of the best things I can be doing for my, um, all of those things I just mentioned. And, um, and I also, uh, started doing a lot of Vegas stimulation. I went to, I don't really know how to, how to categorize, um, this particular practitioner that I see, but I, I get a lot of just hard to find supplements. And I mean, she's definitely like kind of a naturopath and does actual manual Vegas nerve stimulation, which is also, um, one of the key areas that gets affected with long COVID, um, that vagus nerve seems to be really affected. And, and then, you know, a lot of people that have POTS and a lot of the, the neurological symptoms, it seems to kind of really stem from that. So I think that's been really key for me as well. Um, just in my continued healing and my, and then also just, um, trying to be preventative, trying to work in a preventative way that if I were to get it again, I might not have as, I might not have as high of a baseline level of systemic inflammation. Yeah. I, I'm really enjoying listening to the things that you did to, um, take care of yourself and really combining a lot of different modalities. Um, a question that I have is in regards to gather sauna house, like, is this something I'm assuming this was already established and then you had, you got sick. And so then you started implementing it. Do you see that this is like, is there more of a connection now of people like you who might have long COVID or any other virus that they've been affected by? Is this something that you have been able to help them with of like, Hey, this is my experience. Uh, this is some stuff that you can incorporate into your protocol to get you back on recovery. Thank you for that question. I would really, that's my, like in my heart of hearts, I'd really like to work more directly in that direction. Um, so I've had for a while, kind of this dream of partnering with, you know, local naturopath and, uh, and functional medicine clinics and, basically because we're mobile or we have the ability to be mobile, we're actually working toward a permanent location as well, but um, sort of setting up these mobile clinics to work in partnership with them so that they can incorporate, you know, because it's, I mean, con thermal contrast therapy is just has so much potential for all kinds of chronic inflammatory diseases. I mean, um, and, and has historically already been working on those things. Um, and I think we're just beginning to realize its actual potential and why it's stood the test of thousands and thousands of years as a wellness practice in cultures that aren't the U.S. <laughs> and so why it's having a renaissance in the U.S. right now, you know, just like I, I just think it's fascinating how, uh, you know, these we kind of get these fads here in the U S of these cultural traditions that have been around forever that just finally make their, their way into our culture. Um, and I think we're really in the middle of that right now. I think we're really having a pretty big sauna and cold, cold exposure. Traditional sauna has always included cold exposure. They're not 
they're not mutually exclusive. They're one and the same. Um, so you, traditional sauna is all about those cycles of thermal contrast. Um, and so cold plunging is really all the rage right now, but it really has always been done in the context of um, traditional sauna as well. So, um, so that is my heart. Yeah, I would love to start working with clinics where they can really write this into treatment plans and then we can be there providing it, um, you know, however many days we need providing these clinics that can be part of their client's treatment plan. That's just one way, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of ways I would like to, to maybe start working in that avenue and, and yeah, use it, use it for this. Now what's become a pretty heart guided mission for me to help other people heal from this because I mean, it was truly awful. It was, it was really, really awful at times. And I can't imagine some of the people that are continuing to live with it. Like I, you know, by the time I started getting on treatment and getting better, um, it was just, it's so much shorter than what most people are experiencing because again, it's just so hard for them to find access to treatments that work. Um, so Wow. That is such an amazing story. And Helena, we really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing that story here. And we're hoping that it will find its way to other people. So if anybody listening, if this applies to you, fabulous. Look into all the resources. We'll have them in the show notes. If you know somebody who has long haulers or suspects they have long haulers, please share this episode with them because I think it's important information to get out, especially now that we're starting to see true clinical trials and a lot of research being published in this area. We're starting to really understand what's going on. So Helena, uh, tell us a little bit about where we can find more information about you and Gather Sauna House. Sure. Yeah. Um, probably just... You can find us on our website, uh, w, you know, gathersaunahouse.com. And Great. we do a lot just on Instagram. We're gather underscore sauna house. Um, people that are interested in learning more, you know, um, about myself and the journey or just have particular questions about anything while they're navigating the long haul journey. Um, I think, yeah, you can just reach out to me on the website. You could go to gather and reach out to me through info at gather. If fabulous, you know, I would love Thank to try you. to help steer people to, you know, to resources. So awesome. Thank you so much for offering your services in that way. And if anybody wants to experience Gather Sauna House, uh, they are going to be part of the retreats that are we are having this year in Oregon. So you can find out about that also in the show notes. So thanks again, everybody. Thanks again, Helena. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and allowing me, you know, just a platform to talk about this more widely and hopefully reach more people that need help. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Wildly Optimized Wellness Podcast. If you are ready to dig deeper into your health, stop playing the wackest symptom game, start testing to get better guidance, you can find more about Terea at tereyarodriguez.com and you can find Evie at holisticallyrestored.com. Want to peek into what it's like to work with us? Come join us at our Optimized Wellness community. You can find the invitation link in the show notes below. And if you have a question for the show, you can submit your question under the podcast section of TereaRodriguez.com. Finally, if you found something helpful in this episode, 
don't forget to leave a review, hit that follow button, or share it with a friend. They're going to love that you thought of them. Until next time, see you outside. Outside.